Good morning, friends. It is Gary Morris from the Level Up series uh, to all of our friends, the DLC group of companies, and those of you who are tuning in uh, via the live stream. Uh, good morning in the West and good afternoon in the East. Um, it is such a pleasure for me today to be here uh, with this segment of our Level Up series. Um, my guest today is someone who I hold in incredibly high regard. I have uh, followed them very closely over the years. Uh, Brian Scudamore is a uh, Vancouver boy. And uh, almost uh, just over 30 years ago, he started what was uh, originally called uh, the Rubbish Boys. Uh, and of course, that morphed into 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Uh, Brian's group of companies today, uh, O2E, uh, group of companies includes Shack Shine. And Brian, I'm so sorry. I know in one of those intro videos, I called it Shine Shack. And uh, that's a huge faux pas for me. So please forgive me on that. Oh, um, good. Film that really, really quickly. Obviously, Wow One Day Painting and uh, and obviously uh, 1 800 Got Junk. What's incredible about Brian is, um, you know, he, he, he came from very humble beginnings. And, and I love these, these true stories of uh, entrepreneurs. Um, you know, he wasn't an exceptionally gifted school. He didn't have years and years and years of, uh, you know, college education or university degrees. Uh, he didn't have anyone writing big checks, uh, didn't have a leg up, was just a hardworking guy. And in his, right after high school, that that started hauling junk, right? In order to a $700 pickup truck and, uh, you know, and his journey began. And, and fast forward today, and I mean, this guy has done extraordinary things. I mean, he, I think probably, and we're going to speak about it today, you know, may have been the guy that coined guerrilla marketing. As a, as a BC bred boy, I saw the way this guy marketed his business, and I'm talking for years now, and it was exceptional. Of course, he's been on Oprah. He's been on Undercover um, Boss. You know, he's been a regular contributor to Forbes magazine. He is a uh, author of a wonderful book that we're going to give some away uh, later on today. Bry, it's a it's a hell of a journey, and I'm so happy you're here. Good morning and welcome. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Gary. Well, it's uh, the thing I love most is the journey's not over. Yeah. I, I love what I do each and every day, and I love sharing with others what the journey's been like, all the lessons learned along the way. And so thank you for having me on your awesome show. Yeah, it's it's absolutely a privilege. And, and it's funny because, you know, a lot of people listening and tuning in today are self-employed or business for self or they're running, you know, small operations or they want to, you know, do what, what you have done and they want to build something uh, incredible. Um, so maybe what you could do, Bri, is, is just um, just quickly to get us started, spend a few minutes and tell us a little bit about the business and, and maybe sort of the origin of it. Yeah, well, not many people find their business inspiration in a McDonald's drive through but that's where I found mine. I was one course short of graduating from high school. I was in this lineup thinking, oh, what am I going to do with my future? And it was a bit of a stressful time in my life because all my friends had graduated from, from high school and were off to college. And I had that FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm like, what am I going to do? So in front of me in this drive-thru was this beat up old pickup truck. It had plywood sides built up on the box. It said Mark's hauling along the side and filled with junk. And I thought, well, there's an idea. I'm gonna go buy myself a truck and start hauling junk. And the reason why I needed money was I had a plan to talk my way into college with uh, one course short. And I was <laughs> going to sit there and figure out how to join my friends. So I talked myself into Langara College you're a Vancouver boy, you'll know uh, where that is. And yeah, for sure. I said, okay, I'm going to find that. There's the truck. 
Uh, actually, that's truck number two, but I ended up buying a, a beautiful truck built up plywood sides. 700 bucks is what it cost me. An old Ford F100 started driving down alleys and laneways. And when someone had a pile of junk, I'd offer to cart it away for a fee. Now, the business was called the Rubbish Boys at the time. It was really just me, but I had a vision for something bigger. And as I started to build out that brand and, and realize it was working for me, I sat down, uh, let's see, three, four years into my business. And I sat down with my father and I said, hey, dad, I got some good news for you. And he said, what is it? And I said, have a seat. And uh, you could tell he was nervous. And I said, I'm dropping out of university. <laughs> now, my dad is a liver transplant surgeon. So he's done more schooling than just about anyone on the planet. And here I was telling him I was leaving school. But I said, hey, dad, listen, I, I am learning more about business, running a business more than I am studying in textbooks. This is the right decision. Trust me. And he wasn't on side, but I went from one truck that summer to then three trucks the next year, four or five. And today, I think we're a couple thousand plus trucks across our brands across North America and Australia. So feel excited about what we built and uh, these 31 years. It's, it's Someone says these overnight success stories sure take a long time. And yeah, that's heck that's right. Yeah, that, that sure is uh, sure is accurate. Well, it's interesting, and and just to you know, sort of frame it for everyone uh, tuning in today. So, uh, Brian and his uh, his group of companies operate in Canada, U.S., and Australia uh, from very humble beginnings. I know, and this is a stat I think from last year, but I think uh, you know they're generating more than a million dollars a day uh, in in uh, in sales, uh, which is just absolutely remarkable. And it's interesting, Brian, because I love the journey. I, there's a lot of people who want to get there, and you know, when you're starting out. Often the biggest, you know, um, sort of breakdown that I see is people quit too early. They get there. It's hard. When you start a business, everyone is telling you, you can't do it. You know, what are you doing? You left university. Are you nuts? Mm -hmm. Like, how can you make any mm -hmm. money? So maybe can you just talk to us about those early years? And what was the hardest uh, thing about starting the business as you reflect back now? Yeah, you know, I think it's always uh, hard. It's a challenge, but I've always been up for the challenge. I mean, you know what it's like building a business and and days are never easy, but if you're ready to embrace the mistakes, if you're ready to embrace the the challenge of making big things happen, that that's what's exciting. I think one of the hardest moments I ever had was five years into my business. Now we were the rubbish boys at the time. I had 11 employees, a half a million in revenue and uh, faced an inflection point. I had always been in business because I had fun building things with people. And in 1994, I stopped having fun. I realized that it was about the people I was working with. I wasn't surrounded by happy, friendly, go-getting types. And I realized I had the wrong people. So I, uh, 11 people, they say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I think I had nine bad apples and I made a tough decision that day was to start again. So I brought my entire team in and we had a morning meeting and it started with two words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that as your leader, I've let you down. I might not have found the right people, given you the right training, the love and support you've needed to be successful. And the only thing I know to do is to sort of cut bait and start again. But I learned that day going from five trucks down to one, that's all I could drive at a time, of course, and, and not having employees to haul away junk and working alone was, wow, big failure, but what a powerful lesson because I learned it's all about people finding the right people and treating people right. That was the day I understood the importance of rebuilding, but having an incredible culture uh, every step of the way.
Yeah, absolutely. We're going to speak about uh, people and, uh, uh, you know, kind of a little bit further in this. Um, one of the things that I want to maybe just chat and ask you about, uh, because I think every single, uh, you know, business struggles with this, especially a new business in the early years. Um, you were the epitome of bootstrapping, right? Like, you know, there was no, you know, great big, you know, rich uncle that came in and stepped in. There was no, you know, huge budget. Um, you had no extra money for advertising. And as I, you know, sort of alluded to in my intro, I used to see you everywhere. I saw those blue wigs on the back of those trucks at every Canucks playoff game that I went to on every corner. I saw these trucks parked. I still, they're still parked in high profile locations every mm -hmm. single day. And it was hence why I said you, you may have been one of those guys, those guys that, that coined, you know, guerrilla marketing. It was absolutely uh, exceptional. The visibility that you uh, got, can you speak to us and maybe tell us about those blue wigs and what you did in the early days? Now we have social media and we'll get to that as well. And, and, and what mm -hmm. that dynamic adds to, you know, uh, brand promotion, but you just, you were everywhere, you know, you were every, mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of money you got, Brian, I don't know if you ever calculated it in the hundreds of millions of dollars of free uh, media spent. I mean, you were on news, you were in newspapers. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, we, we still do it today. It's part of our strategy. So where that started was 1991, two years into the business. My girlfriend at the time, Lisa, said, you know, you got a great story here. You should get out there and tell it. Go tell the press that it was a tight summer job market. You had you didn't finish high school. You had to find a way to pay for college. And you started a junk removal business. She said, I think that's a cool story. And others will think so, too. So I picked up the phone, called the Vancouver province, and I said, I got some awesome news for you. And they said, okay, well, what is it? And I said, great story of a guy who did this and this and that. I told them my story and they sent over a reporter and a photographer that day. And the next day we were on the cover of the Vancouver province. Now, this massive tabloid, there it said 738 junk with me and my truck on the front. Uh, I remember there was this little tiny ad for Ralph's audio. And I remember calling uh, Ralph to say, hey, what did you pay for that? Uh, it doesn't show the ad on there, but because we cleaned up the shot, but at the very top, Ralph's audio, he paid $5,000 for about a square inch ad at the top of the paper. And then I get this whole name and phone number on the, on the front page for free. We had bus drivers driving around, waving their newspapers out of the window, uh, showing us as we're driving by and, and we felt like heroes. But what it taught me is, man, free press. I paid nothing for that. It was a phone call and it was just me pursuing the press to say, hey, I've got the confidence behind a fun story. I think you'll like it. And maybe it was a slow news day that day, who knows, but we got lucky, but it led us to trying to get on the Oprah Winfrey show, CNN, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, USA Today. I mean, you list it, like you said, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm trying to show you uh, or your audience, like this wasn't a one-off lucky deal. This was a strategic mm -hmm. intent to use free press as part of our strategy. We were during the pandemic, the the lockdown when you know we couldn't go to the office, we still had CNBC send one person out to interview us, socially distanced with masks. And we did a piece that uh, ended up on CNBC about a month ago. So where there's a will, there's a way, and it's being creative. I read about Starbucks, one of my favorite brands, and I read early on that they had spent $10 million on advertising when they were a billion dollar brand. As a percentage, that's a very, very small amount. They believed in guerrilla marketing and, and getting out there and marketing in the community and talking to the press. And so we followed the same strategy and it worked. 
So let's just talk about that for a minute because there's a lot of people on here uh, and I've had many conversations over the years and I've said, regardless of the market that you're in, you know, the media is dying for interesting stories and there's other headlines yeah. that you can, you know, leapfrog on every single day. And and and, and as Brian just said, it, it starts with picking up the phone. You know what I mean? Like picking up the phone, hey, I got something interesting. Rates have just dropped. We're doing something new. Maybe there's, you know, uh, the Bank of Canada, you know, I just just dropped this or the, the governor said this. Like it's a matter of picking up the phone. And, and you actually morphed, Brian, to where you had one of your full-time staff there that was sort of doing double duty. And that's all he did is look for opportunities over the years. One thing I want to just jump on, and this is remarkable. You talked about Starbucks. Well, I don't know how many of you on this call know this, but- Brian Scudamore was quoted on 10 million Starbucks uh, cups as part of their As I See It campaign. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that, Brian. I mean, like this, it just, mm -hmm. I find this for me, I, I have goosebumps here because as I said, the amount of, of leverage that you've got in yourself and your personal brand and your business brand by picking up the phone, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and grill marketing is incredible. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's finding big ideas and just throwing them out to the universe. We had this wall in our office. We still do today. I mean, we haven't been in the office for a while, but we've got this office wall that's called the Can You Imagine wall. And on this wall, I put a big decal up, Can You Imagine? And then below it, I put being featured on the Oprah Winfrey show with my name below it. And people start to ask about what's this wall? Why, what's that quote about? And I said, I want people to dream big, think big and put ideas up on this wall run your idea by me. If we both agree it's a good idea and we can help you make it happen, we'll put it up in a vinyl decal on the wall. So Andrea Baxter comes up to me and she says, I, I got this idea, you know, these Starbucks cups, we can get on one of these, we can get a quote. And I said, Andrea, it's all famous people. It's it's poets and authors and, and movie stars. And I'm like, I'm a junk guy. And she <laughs> goes, no, 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 trust me, I can see it. And when she said to me, she could see it, that taught me that she sees vision, she sees it in her head, we don't know how it's gonna happen, but she went out there and made it happen on her own. Thank you, Andrea, if you're on this. And uh, she got out there, got us on 10 million cups, cup number 70. It was out there for months and uh, felt so proud of it. It was it was exciting. I didn't care that my name was on it at all. It was that 1-800-GOT-JUNK, the name, the phone number, the brand was there and it was absolute awesome free advertising. Yeah, just what a remarkable story. So, uh, Brian, you've touched on a little bit, but if you're speaking to somebody right now uh, who has a business in 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 a small community, big community, uh, regardless, I guess of where it is, uh, what are a couple of simple steps you would say to you know start uh, building your personal brand via, I guess, guerrilla marketing? Well, I think brands are they're companies, they're symbols that people use because they identify with. So some of my favorite brands in the world, Starbucks, or you look at Apple, or you look at, um, uh, you know, so many great brands out there where they've, they've taken a story like Airbnb. I love that everybody has a story and everyone's got humble beginnings. You know, nobody starts with a ton of money and gets lucky. Uh, Airbnb, I love that they started with a business model and I met one of the founders, Joe, and, and I thought when I heard this story, I'm like, with all due respect, that's a terrible idea. What they started doing was renting air mattresses at the Democratic National Convention one year. And instead of people renting hotels, they said, we're gonna get some different rooms, put people in air mattresses and we'll rent the beds and it, it'll be a great idea. And it was kind of a stupid idea to be frank, <laughs> but what happened is it led them to thinking through 
what could the model become? Uh, Instagram. Instagram did not start uh, by Kevin in the in the model that it is today, owned by Facebook. They started as something very different, but they morphed. They iterated. So often, business owners get out there and they go, oh, "How do I start? I need an idea." Maybe you don't need a really great idea. You just need something to start with and see how it tweaks, how it grows. Did I know that a little beat up old truck was going to turn into an international half a billion dollar brand uh, in Canadian dollars, of course? You know, no, but it taught me so much that I started to see new opportunities as the world evolved and as the business opportunity evolved. Uh, we also hear from a lot of people where they go, I, I have always wanted to run my own business. I don't know where to start. I don't have an idea. Maybe the big idea is franchising. That's what I get most excited about is that we've inspired entrepreneurship and others by taking our, our house detailing business of Shackshine and saying, you don't need an idea, but here's a recipe. Go follow it. Go become the CEO of your city in the house detailing business. That's a big idea. So it's interesting how much people struggle on, I don't know where to start and getting advertising, free press. I don't know where to start and starting a business. Just pick up the phone like I did. Yeah. Call the press. You're a mortgage broker. You got a story. There's something interesting going on in the market. Pick up the phone and, and call someone in the press and say, hey, I got an awesome story idea for you. We are in the storytelling age. You mentioned, Gary, uh, social media. Social media is all about storytelling. Why do we follow any of us look at any stuff on social media? Because we're interested in stories. And you know what the world needs right now more than anything is good news stories. Um, yeah, I see you got a picture there of me on the wall in my office, the most current post, uh, not my office, in my uh, my daughter's high school. She goes, hey, dad, I, I found your picture up on the wall. And I'm like, oh, really? Can I see it? And I'm like, was I really wearing that? God awful red turtleneck and uh, still remember I bought that at Le Chateau. I don't even know if they're around still. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I, uh, so it's interesting, Brian, cause we were talking yesterday and you said something to me and my assistant was just sitting six feet away in her office. I have a little drive-through window between us. And, uh, and she goes, Oh my God, I just loved what he just said. And what you said to me yesterday was you said to me, like, first off, I always say to people, often the business that you start with is not the business you're going to end with. It has to be able to, it's going to pivot and change and you're going to find new revenue sources and new messaging. And, you know, so you have to know that also the people you start with very rarely are the people you finish with, you know, uh, in business and you have to, you know, uh, be able to kind of shuck and, and move and groove. Um, you said to me yesterday, you know, we also had, um, I think the moving company was called You Move Me. And you said we had it for seven or eight years. We ended up uh, selling it. And you mm. said, Gary, I like to be in the business where people are happy. He said, you know, I power wash someone's, you know, sideways, you know, they're happy. They come out and I painted their house with wow, one day painting and it's beautifully painted and it's fresh and they're happy. We pile, we move a pile of junk that's been in their backyard or in the basement for years. And it's just like euphoria. They're happy. And you said in the moving business, People weren't happy. It doesn't matter what happened. They couldn't find stuff. Something was broken. They were tired. It was a long day. Mm. I found that like extraordinary and, and it really resonated with both Tara and I. Any mm. comment you want to make about that? And is that sort of like, do you only get involved in saying to the business where you think that it makes people happy or? Yeah. I mean, we got clarity after uh, getting rid of You Move Me, after selling it to someone else who we felt maybe they can make this work because we couldn't and we tried and we gave it eight years. We broke even on the deal. We didn't want to invest anymore. We didn't think we could and it wasn't a smart investment for us. But the, 
I'm not in the business of building brands and then selling them or going public or anything. It, it's it's a long term. I just love building these and watching entrepreneurs grow with us. But you move me. We couldn't see that. And it, you're right. It's all about it's not a happy business. You can have the most amazing movers in the world. But at the end of the day, at the end of the move, mom and dad are fighting. People can't find stuff. Even if the movers have unpacked, they've put things in the wrong places. Stuff's broken. You're in a new community, a new home. It, it's stressful. Your cable's not working. Your internet's not turned on. Something's going on. And moving is just stressful. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't want to be a part of that because we couldn't take the ordinary business of moving and make it exceptional enough that people were left with a happy feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So, Brian, let's talk about the next generation of marketing and branding and, you know, the fastest way to get, you know, our message out there today, social media. How has social media uh, changed your business? Has it changed your business? Has it just enhanced your business? And 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 the second part of that question is to a, to a listener, someone who's tuned in today, how can they most effectively, in your opinion, uh, use social media to their advantage? Is there any mm -hmm. tricks that you have or any suggestions? Yeah. I might not be as big of a fan of social media as, as others are. So here's what we, you, you asked the question, how has it helped our business? I think it's helped to tell stories and to spread the word of things we're doing, but you have to keep up with it. It's constantly posting and we've got a team of people that obviously do that. But where I feel social media has actually been a negative for us is I remember years ago we were on CNBC we had this great media hit, probably five minutes worth of exposure on national TV. And we got franchise inquiries, people going, I want to own one of these, like you wouldn't believe. Fast forward 10 years later, this was last year, I was on CNBC again, live in studio in New York, another four and five and a half minute piece talking about Shack Shine. We didn't get a single hit from a, in terms of a franchise inquiry. Both pieces were great. Both pieces were same time slot. It's that social media is out there in such a big way, distracting and taking away from all of the other storytelling. It used to be, you know, back in the day, one of my favorite shows was Friends. Thursday night, all my buddies, we'd get together and we'd watch Friends together because it was live. Well, now people binge watch different shows. Nobody's ever on the same schedule. It's like that with the press. People are missing big stories and just getting their feed on social media, but everybody does social media. And so I think the messages can often get diluted. So all that to say is we are in the storytelling age. People want stories. I think my feeling on social media, don't say something unless you've got a good story to tell. It's like at a party, um, you know, you're at a great party and someone comes and they're storytelling and they're taking way too long to tell a story and it's boring and not interesting. Just tell a joke or a story if you got a good one to share. And uh, I think that's a challenge with social media is people just talk too much and uh they got to wait until they've got a good story to share yeah interesting perspective i often say social media you know certainly in in my opinion it's 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 highest and best use um you know of value uh for us is to use it as a platform to go and recognize and thank and highlight other people who have done a good job or who are doing extraordinary things it's like yeah. finding someone who's doing something something amazingly right and making a very meaningful authentic post on the good work that they have done it's like taking out a front page ad on the washington post or the vancouver sun you mm -hmm. know and and really uh, encouraging and and recognizing someone in a public forum. I think that's very, very beneficial. It's hard to break through the noise, uh, mm -hmm. but certainly it's it's changing the way we do business. 
Um, Brian, I want to talk to you about uh, about. Let's talk about your your book, uh, "Willing to Fail." I, I mean, it's 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 a it's an incredible roadmap for all entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm all about the lessons that that failure brings. Um, one of the things that you've said is failure is a temporary condition, but so is success. And mm-hmm. you know, would you talk to us about you know the lumps, the breakdowns, the fails, and the lessons mm-hmm. maybe? that as an entrepreneur, we can take away because you're a bit of a, an expert. You're, you're self-declared as, as, I mean, I, it's funny eh, because I talk about Brian being an ordinary guy and and I didn't say this um, off the, the cuff, but Brian, just just tell everyone your, your, your group of companies, O2E. What is O2E? What does the acronym stand for, Brian? Because I want everyone to understand how you think. Yeah, ordinary to exceptional. And right. so we will only start or bring businesses into the family if we can take an ordinary business, very fragmented mom and pop space like junk removal and make it exceptional through customer experience. If I take Wow One Day as an example, the painting business, there's plenty of good brands out there and players in the business. But what we did is we defined a new category. We'll go in and paint someone's home in a day. It's everyone knows you can get one person in one room painting it or a big room, two people. It's a numbers game, it's project management and coordination. And when we get the home done in a day, it's less disruption. And in a pandemic, our value prop has gone up because people want people in and out. So exceptional businesses is, is what we do. And that's where you move me, uh, a failure of mine. We, we couldn't make it work and we couldn't get to the exceptional level that we wanted. And so that's where sometimes you gotta, you gotta admit your mistakes and, and let go. Mm-hmm. So um, when it talks to, to new entrepreneurship and the struggles and the failures that you do and, you know, how so many people, you know, just don't go far enough and, and quit early, you know, there's this whole movement now about grit and they call it the hustle or perseverance or staying power. Uh, how hard do you, should you expect to work in the early days of a new business or maybe not even the early days, maybe when your business has been sort of like reinvigorated or reborn, you go, listen, I'm really going to change something in my business. I've been doing it 12 years. What kind of commitment should our listeners like? How hard is it going? Is it like just like one hundred percent, like you know, like pedal to the metal? Should I expect to, to you know, to work twelve, fourteen hours a day? What's your opinion on that, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think twelve to fourteen hours a day. I, you know, I know myself, and I know when I'm getting past a twelve-hour day, my mind is getting exhausted, and and it's hard to sustain, and and it's. You're, you're diminishing returns. You're not adding value anymore. Go take a nap, go have a glass of wine, go get to bed, whatever it is. Um, I, let me talk about failure for a second, if you don't mind. And you brought up the, the book. And yeah. I think if there's one thing in my 31 years that I figured out is how to see failure as a gift. I truly believe that, yes, you've got to work hard to your question, but you got to be willing to make some mistakes while you're working hard. And you've got to learn from those mistakes. The mistakes become the business school teaching that you need to get to the next level. While I you know, didn't do well in school and dropped out of high school, dropped out of college, I, I love learning. But to me, failure is my teacher. You know, my dad's a doctor, liver transplant surgeon. You don't want a transplant surgeon ever failing, right? You know, we're yeah. life or death. Um, he, you have to go to school. You got to study and, and get it right. But in business, I think a lot of us learn from starting a franchise or from another mentor or from getting out there and doing it and building it on the street. So if, you know, the book, what's interesting, a little story there was uh, Roy H. Williams, the wizard of ads. 
He's a, a partner of ours, uh, advertising partner. He does our radio creative. And I remember every year when we'd go see him in Austin, Texas, he's like, Brian, you got to write a book. And I just kept saying, like, Roy, I'm not an entrepreneur that has the ego to need to have a book out there. I don't want to write a book. I hardly read books. Uh, you know, it's not my thing. And he goes, Brian, it's not about you. He said, it's about the stories that you and your people can tell and have to tell that will make a difference in the world. And I said, really, you think our stories will make a difference? He goes, Brian, there's so much there in your 31 years. Get out there and, and we're going to tell these stories. So uh, he took me to his wizard's tower, a, a real place on his, uh, on his ranch and uh, locked the door and mic'd me up. And we had a couple of bottles of wine or maybe more over those 10 hours. Yeah. And he said, let's get story after story after story out and documented. We took this transcript and he and I worked back and forth to start the first manuscript for the book. I kept saying to Roy throughout the process, what's the title of the book? And he goes, Brian, stop asking what the title is. I go, but I'm a branding guy. I start with Wow One Day Painting and we build the business or Shack Shine or one 800 got junk I love names. Because it doesn't work that way in books. He goes, I've written a dozen plus books. I know what I'm talking about, trust me. So we wrote the book and he said, the title will jump out once we finish the manuscript. And he was right. Because we looked at the book and went, WTF, there are so many failures in here. It was failure, growth, failure, growth, failure, growth, back and forth over 31 years. And I realized the title needed to be willing to fail. But what was more important was that I realized failure has always been a gift for me. And I believe failure is a gift to anybody if you'll allow it to be. So you've got to look at failure and go, okay, dark day, tough moment, something's not working right now. But what am I going to learn from this that will allow me to be better? Firing my 11 employees, terrible day for them, terrible day for me, but one of the best decisions I ever made because it helped me build a, a company that's all about people, finding the right people and, and knowing how to treat them right. Yeah, it's uh, just thank you for sharing. Uh, incredible. It's funny. I often say to people, it's, it's, it's often those most successful who, who have been in the business, who operate at a very high level, whatever the business may be, whether they're a mortgage professional or um, that are the most vulnerable, right? Because they get to a certain point where things are going good. Life is okay. I have no problems. My, you know, I'm a busy guy. You know, my phone is ringing. Uh, but all the little things they did consistently over and over and over that got them up to, you know, that uh, position they're in right now, they, they, it starts to diminish. They, they forget about it. They don't respond mm -hmm. quite as quick. They, you know, uh, they take those relationships that were so important and they don't honor them like they once uh, did. And you talk about it, right? Having to completely redo your business, right? Walking in 9 11, 11 employees. And, you know, I've seen other interviews over the years, you know, you had a, a separation with someone who you're still dear friends with, but someone who, you know, was a, a huge part of your business in Cameron. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how do you, how do you know that's the case when you've gotten to a situation where, you know, from the outside looking in, everyone thinks, well, this guy's a success. He's, he's, he's doing really well. This guy's rocking and rolling, but internally you're flat, you're stagnant. You, you got stuck. When do you know it's time to, you know what, just do a complete, like, you know, not a rebuild necessarily because you got a great foundation, but to really look yourself and uh, in the mirror and make that hard decision. Yeah, no, it's a good question, Gary. I, I think that there's something to be said for trusting your gut. We know when we've got a decision we need to make and, and every day that continues to pass, it's, it gets more painful. It's going to cause us more grief down the road and it's learning to make the tough decisions. So you're right, Cameron Harold, uh, an amazing guy. You know, Google the guy. He's written more books than, uh, than I have, that's for sure. And his TED Talks and 
He's an expert in small business. And he helped us go from uh, 2 million to 106 million in revenue. I was the best man in his wedding. And then after seven years, I realized he wasn't the guy to take us to the next level. And he was the wrong guy for the stage we were at. The reason being, great guy, great friend, but, but we were both fire ready aim types. And that didn't work. Hey, there's Cameron. So yeah, he's the CEO whisperer. The guy is fantastic. And what was interesting is the day I fired him was probably one of the worst days in his life. It was one of the worst days in mine. It really hurt. But he will tell you this if he was on this interview, he'd say it was the right call for both of us. It got him to a better place. It got him to a place of making more money, more opportunity, more contribution in an area of unique ability that he needed to be in. And so I had to be the leader and make a tough decision, but it then led me ultimately to the right people for my business. So Eric Church, which interestingly, he's our president and he's been with us almost nine years, amazing friend. Uh, he came to me uh, through through Cameron. So Cameron and I healed our relationship and friendship. And we, we just talked the other day. We talk all the time. And Cameron was a fraternity brother with Eric. Well, he led me to Eric. And Eric is a buttoned up, super smart executor that has the rigor and discipline. And, and where Cameron got us to 100 million, Eric's gotten us to uh, half a billion Canadian. And so it's it's all about having the right people at the right stages. It doesn't mean because someone's a good friend and you love them that uh, they're going to be the right people to get you to the next stage. And as a, a CEO of a company, as a founder, you've got to think what's best for the company, not necessarily what's best for you and your buddies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, so, Brian, what do you do for personal development? I mean, I'm a huge uh, proponent of lifelong learning, of, you know, like constantly, um, you know, studying the the habits of top performers and other entrepreneurs. I'm, I mean, I'm involved in a, a very intimate, you know, kind of, you know, small U.S. CEO group of some really incredible people. Mm -hmm. uh, so I know you're a big fan of mentors and going out and getting the mentors. Can you tell us? Uh, maybe who your who who your mentor was, but can you give us your spin or perspective on how important it is to either be coached, to get a mentor, or personal mm -hmm. development in your opinion? Because really, mm -hmm. you know, that is the DNA of I think you know who you are and what you created. Mm -hmm. So as a guy that didn't finish school, never got a real MBA, I created my own. I call it mentor board of advisors. I've got my own pool of people that I can turn to for advice. And I mean, it's, it's hundreds of people because literally I look at everybody as a mentor. They say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know what? I'm never in the wrong room, man. I am always someone who goes, somebody's got a life experience, a story, a failure, a mistake, something that's happened that I can learn something from. I'm curious. I ask lots of questions. And so everybody's a mentor. But what I'll do is I'll read a book and then decide I got to pick up the phone and call this person. I've got to ask them more questions. I've got to learn. If I've got a problem I need to solve, I'll try and find the best on the planet and go contact them. So a specific example, uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He's passed on. But uh, Fred DeLuca, who was the founder of Subway, I was building out a franchise organization. It was early, early days. I think we had less than 10 franchises. I uh, made a point of reaching out and connecting with Fred DeLuca. He was nice enough to say, here's my cell phone number. I see potential in you and I want to talk to you and help mentor you through a couple of conversations. And so I got out there and said, great, thank you. I'll have some calls. And he, and he in between meetings would call me in his car phone and, and we'd connect and the guy was unbelievable. So it was one of those things where 
I learned the lesson that even the most famous, the smartest of people in the world, they're still people. They've had help getting to where they've gotten. Why not reach out and connect? And you never know what opportunity will uh, will arise. I get people reaching out to me constantly through social media and asking if they can run an idea by me. Uh, I'll usually ask them a few questions through email first, but absolutely. I, I love giving back and trying to help young entrepreneurs uh, or new entrepreneurs. And uh, I think that's what the world is about. How do we help each other? We're all connected. So let's uh, let's contribute advice to, to and opinions so that people can take some shortcuts and learn from the tough mistakes that that we've all made. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that the more you give back, obviously, you know, the more you receive, the more opportunity there is. And, and I often find when I'm working with someone or to help them to coach or mentor someone, uh, it, it just, you know, it reinvigorates me. The more I do that, I think the better I become as a, as a person. Um, so it's interesting that I talk about the MBA or, or making your own MBA. I actually think, dude, you have a PhD and you have a PhD and res- you have a PhD in results. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So, right. Talk to me about, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a word and, and I'm going to ask you what this word means to you. I, Cause I, I, I believe you try to do this in everything you do. The word is wow. Right. Like, you know, you always hear today, increase your wow. You have a business. Mm-hmm. Wow. One day painting, mm-hmm. running your business with your staff and your team and DNA of your team. What does wow mean to you? Well, I think wow literally is that first impression that you get off of uh, an event. So let, let's literally take it for wow one day painting for a second. But when a customer comes home, and, and I did as a customer because I used a painting company, I tried to get referrals. I found three different companies. And the one I chose to go with was a guy named Jim Bodden. Company was one day painting. I fell in love with the business, acquired the brand, and, and off we went. But the reason we ne- renamed the brand was the feeling when I came home at the end of the day, it was done in a day, 6.30 p.m., floor to ceilings, moldings trim, three coats in the kitchen, the whole bit. And I was just like, wow. I mean, it was a transformation. Mm. So for me, wow is a very personal feeling of what does it take for an employee to go, wow, like, thank you for doing that. Wow, thank you for involving me. Wow, you know, thank you as a, as a, as a, group of companies helping to build entrepreneurs and helping them succeed with their franchises, whatever it takes to leave someone with an unexpected, you know, some would say, wow, is surprise and delight. Right. It's a feeling of just, I, I would never have expected this. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. And uh, it's, it's a fun word. And so we really do use it across our brands. And it's what we, we shoot for. At the end of the day, we want people who have been employees with us, who then move on to other opportunities for whatever reason. We want them to look back and say, wow, those were the good old days. Wow, I learned a ton. It's, uh, I think it's unexpected. It was a great question. Thank you for asking that. Mm-hmm. So along the same line, so you have hundreds of, of uh, franchise owners across North America and multiple brands. Uh, some are extraordinary. Some are, are sort of, you know, uh, haven't quite achieved the same level. You know, um, what, in your opinion, what makes the, the very top operators stand out? from maybe this, those that are struggling or, or the average? What are the key mm. characters or differences? You know, if you study your very best top franchise owners compared mm. to the rest of the herd. Yeah, three things, focus, faith, and effort. So mm. we believe that success, that momentum, that flywheel momentum that happens, which takes time, it doesn't happen overnight, 
it's a formula of a combination of their focus, their faith, and their effort. So focus would be, don't try and brand to the whole city. Try and pick a small portion and just hit it over and over and over and get to know your customers before you grow. Focus de demographically, geographically, focus on the system. We've given the proven recipe, follow the system, it works. Faith, believe in yourself, believe in the systems, believe in us as a support team to help you build something much bigger and better together. Um, it's amazing how many entrepreneurs get out there and start a business and they get negative advice from so many different people around them that they think their idea really isn't a good one. Well, again, learn from that stuff and have faith and confidence in yourself to execute. And then the effort. It takes good old-fashioned hard work. I mean, Gary, you said, you know, is it 12 to 14 hours? Do you have to work so hard in the beginning? I think you always have to work hard, but work smart along with it. Um, you know, getting fit isn't about, you know, going all out nonstop every day. It's a consistent routine of putting the effort and the work in. And I think building a business is continuing to harvest uh, that effort that you that you put into the business. There you go, me on my Peloton. <laughs> I don't normally wig. ride in a blue wig. That would be too hot. It's just trying <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. fun for the photo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny because as I hear you speak, Bri, I, I mean, there's always people out there that are that are going to say, well, this just doesn't necessarily resonate with me. I'm in the Canadian mortgage space and I'm in finance. But, you know, one thing that you find with great leaders is that they recognize and find skills from every industry worldwide and they're all transferable. Everything you say is transferable to our business, regardless of what business uh, you're in. So, Bri, what, what if you could give us three or four, you talk about consistency. So maybe that's one of them. Three or yeah. four, in your opinion, habits that with all of your studying of, you know, these entrepreneurs and being an entrepreneur and leading over the years, uh, what consistent habits seem to be the basic foundation of, you know, the best operators or those most successful? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, believe it or not, one of the simplest ones in my mind is making time for exercise. I think in my 30s, I worked so hard that I neglected my health. I, you know, was was overweight and didn't have the energy and drank too much and blah, blah, blah. I just wasn't focused on, you know, it was those long days where I'd go up for beers with my team, but I didn't make time to exercise. And uh, it, it wore me down and it wasn't sustainable. But now I'll sit there and I'll go, okay, you know what? I'm taking Fridays off and I have for years because that's my free day to to focus on myself, go for a mountain bike ride, go for a ski, hang out with the kids. Uh, and I get up at 5.55 every morning or almost every morning, you know, you'll have an odd day where you sleep in, but I'm getting up and the first thing I do is set my intention for the day. What am I going to focus on today? It could be smiling more. It could be uh, making sure I actually hit the gym or get out and do a mountain bike ride. What's the one thing that will set me up for success for the rest of the day? Um, if I had to pick one thing, and I wouldn't call this a habit, but a bit of a skill that I think every entrepreneur should spend a lot of time thinking about and mastering, vision. We talked about the, the, the painted picture and developing a, a vision of, of where you're going. I think too many entrepreneurs, too many people in careers don't know. Simon Sinek talks about this. Starts starts with why. why? Simon, yeah. He was on our board years and years ago before he became famous. And uh, Simon Sinek says, like, understand your why. Everything starts with why am I building this? Y you you say I've got a PhD, uh, which is so nice of you to say. 
But I think what it is, is I figured out what my why is to support people living their dreams of business ownership, to give them a platform, a recipe, and for us to build something bigger and better together. When I figured out what it was or why it was I was building something, the money came, the success came, the the people came, and, and it's been unreal. So from a vision perspective, having a painted picture, understanding what your future looks like five years from now, you don't have to know how to get there. You just have to know what there looks like. And so if I give the example, if I could you know, share with anyone right now and ask any person, where would you go if you could go on a dream vacation right now? If borders were open, if you could get on planes again, where would you go? Who's with you? What are you drinking? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And in understanding the power of what the future looks like, you start to make decisions of, of how to get there. So I'll throw out for your audience, I have no, no idea how many people are out there right now, but if there's anybody who's interested in learning more about vision, I'm clearly passionate about it. Go to any of my, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram and send me a note and say, could I please see your painted picture? I will send you a copy of an article I wrote on how to create one. I will also have in there a, uh, a link to our painted picture so that you can understand what I mean uh, by vision. And uh, I think it's one of the most powerful, again, I don't know if I'd call it a habit, but a skill is really crystal balling the future of what it looks like. Then we make decisions. We go, are we in the right career to get there? No, make a change. Maybe I need to start my own business. Maybe I need to go to a different company. Maybe I need to ask for a promotion in this company, whatever it is. But that becomes a steering uh, mechanism for you. Uh, a North Star, if you will, in your life. Mm-hmm. Thank you for uh, that offer. And we'll make sure Tara follows up as well. Not only those who don't go there, but we'll uh, repost that. You know, uh, I think it was the Wizard of Oz that, you know, uh, said that quote, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And uh, and it's so important, right? I mean, you know, to, to, to have a very clear, um, you know, sort of focus on where you're going. Thanks, Brian, for that. Um, there's a few questions that have been stacking up for a while. So, uh, sure. Dave, Dave, if you want to just maybe put them on, put you know, kind of roll them on the screen, we'll hit a couple of them. Mostly as a new learner, it's very hard to find mentors. What is the best approach? Where do you go to find them, Brian? You know what? The world is so, it's it's become so much easier to find mentors. You you send someone an Instagram note, you send someone an email, you pick up the phone, whatever it might be, you just ask. And uh, I, I'll give you an example. So um, uh, Robert Herjavec, who's on the Dragon's Den, amazing guy. Um, I picked up the phone once, or I sent him an email and, uh, and asked him a question. Before, before my brand was known nearly to the degree that it, it needed to be, uh, he fired back an answer. We built up a bit of a friendship. I ended up going out to uh, speak at one of his events. He then traded and came and spoke at mine, which was great because his fee would be way higher than mine. <laughs> but you just pick up the phone and reach out to these people. And uh, and it's easy. It, you know, I think it's human nature for the most part that people want to help support others. Because if you've ever had good advice, you, you know what it's like to have had a shortcut. And we want to help others. So you know, the last thing I'll say about mentors, go find them, but be one to others when you're asked. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Awesome advice. Uh, uh, David, uh, you wanted to roll a question. Uh, I was on a flight to BC uh, in our Alberta and about 40 people had these big, bright, wow, painting shirts on. I asked what it was all about, where they were going. They said they were uh, franchise owners and going to a wow one day painting conference, obviously proud of the brand and business. Awesome. Did you ask them to wear those shirts? 
Yeah, so so true story. I've never heard of that. I didn't know that that happened, uh, but it doesn't surprise me. We will be on our, our weekly Zoom calls with the Wow One Day Painting brand, and people are branded. They're wearing the green smiley Wow logo on their hat or their shirt, whatever it might be. And we've got a, a philosophy, always be branded. And it's just the pride that you show in a brand. My, uh, I, I, I drive, I, I have one vehicle and that's a pickup truck. It's a Toyota Tacoma, but it's wrapped uh, in, in all the brands. And I'm just proud of it. So I think that that has been an example of just people do it not because they're asked. Mm -hmm. They do it because, hey, they know it makes great business sense. If someone on that plane goes, who are you guys and what's going on? And oh, wow, I need my home painted. Uh, it's a fun thing to be a part of that culture. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, you guys did it incredibly well. And as I said, where you park your vehicles, but many, many, many years ago, we had a promotion around anyone in Canada and any one of our operations where we co-funded the cost of a vehicle wrap. And we had mm. at one time, boy, a lot of vehicles wrapped across Canada. And it's funny, things just, you know what, like it's like a warm bath. They just kind of cool down. And many years later, there's less and people change vehicles and don't wrap them. But I, I, you know, it, it always blew me away how many conversations, oh, you're in the Canadian finance space, you're in mortgage or the rates are, you know, really that low. And, you know, mm. it's something that maybe we should bring back. If you're out on this call and you want to wrap a vehicle, send me or one of our team members a, uh, a text mm -hmm. guys. And, you know, because I know anyone who had them wrapped just said, oh my goodness, this was incredible. And, and you guys have done just a masterful job, but also parking those vehicles in prominent, busy parking lots mm -hmm. on the sides of the road. So yeah, well, we, we've done the same thing. I mean, many of our, friend, of our franchise partners have done that as well, is giving uh, people an opportunity to have part of their lease payments paid for by us if they'll, if they'll wrap. And, and it's yeah. been awesome. I mean, it's a conversation starter. It's a pride point, And yeah. it's a great recruiting tool. Yeah, Jacqueline Bay, who just uh, went on screen. Yes, we will look at doing that program again. If you want to wrap your vehicle, send us an email, guys, and we'll find a way to help. Uh, happily. So, so Bri, um, a couple of just you know quick questions for you. What is the single most uh, admired trait uh, in 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 someone? Is there one that just stands out that you just go mad? Yeah. This yeah, passion. Passion. Yeah. Yeah. I love when I see someone's passionate about something. When we're interviewing people, that's the one thing we want to know. Are they passionate about something? Like what's their interest? Is it playing guitar? Is it art? Is it languages? Is it helping people? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to do anything about business. When you get somebody truly talking about their passion and clearly like, so for example, me, vision is a huge passion. I can see the future. I have no idea how to make it happen, but I can share it with others and people just go, wow, I know how to make that happen. I can help you achieve your dreams. Uh, it's pretty exciting. So finding out someone's passion and just ask them questions, be curious. Mm. And, and it, it's phenomenal. I love that. Mm. You know what? One of the things I'd like maybe that just to segue in our last few minutes here is just talking about people and the power of people. And, you know, it's something that I think, you know, has been incredibly helpful for me. I mean, everything is about gratitude. And, you know, uh, you talk about gratitude uh, as as, you know, I think I coined, I think I think I said it, uh, talking about you saying it uh, as it, a secret weapon or it can, mm -hmm. it can substantially change your, your life. And gratitude is from your, your customers and your coworkers and your friends and family and being available. But tell us the power of gratitude in, in your mind and, mm -hmm. and how it can affect and change a business. Yeah. So I've, I've shared with you how I start my day. I set the intention 555. What's my one intention for the day, how I finish my day. And I'm not as diligent in this. I try and do it every day. I, I do get tired sometimes and forget, but right before bed, 
before I fall asleep, fall asleep, I think of what are five things I am grateful for. What are five things every single day? There's something, and they're always different. But I reflect through the day, and I go, you know, what am I grateful for? What am I thankful? And no matter how hard the day is, you know, we're in a pandemic. Things aren't easy. There are always things to be grateful for, and it's just such a peaceful way to fall asleep. And it's such a practice that helps me see that there's so much, uh, so much to be optimistic about in the world. Hundred mm, percent, yeah. So, listen, if you're on here right now, uh, we're going to give away fifty of uh, Bry's uh, book, WTFTF, Willing to Fail. So, all you have to do, guys, is just uh, post something on social media. Just hey, I just watched a great interview with uh, with Brian and Gary. Learned this, uh, and also if you like, post post something that you're grateful for. Something's going on right now. You're grateful mm -hmm. for your kids or your family or your life or the weather or, you know, the business or the market or how we're navigating through COVID, whatever it is, right? The first 50 people that are posting something on social media, uh, Tara's going to chase you down. She'll get one of Bri's uh, books sent out to, mm -hmm. to all of you. Uh, very, very, very cool, Bri. So, Bri, talking about, talking about books, uh, here's a little bit of rapid fire. What is your favorite book? Why and why? Uh, the E-Myth Revisited has had the biggest impact on me, how to build out systems and processes for scaling and growing your, your, your life, your business. So Michael Gerber, for those that haven't read that mm. book, the E-Myth, the E-Myth uh, Revisited is the absolute pioneer, the icon of business structure and looking at your business. And I mean, anyone, you know, I mean, it's amazing how many people have read that and how many uh, resort back to the recommendation. So bar none, Bri, your favorite book when it comes to entrepreneurs? Yeah, bar none. I mean, it's we we have hundreds of them in the office, and when people come in to visit, we give them the book, even though it has nothing to do with our business. It's just inspired by it. Michael Gerber is eighty three years old, and he and I chat fairly frequently. He's had such an impact on my business, so uh, it, it, I know the book will have impact on others. Unbelievable! And so, Bry, if you weren't doing this, if I if I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing what? Uh, I was born to be an entrepreneur. I love being told, no, you can't do something and then figuring out a way to do it. And so if it wasn't junk removal, if it wasn't painting and house detailing, it would be some other business. I, I just love business because I love watching things grow. People, systems, brands. You know, some people love to garden. Some people love to design buildings, whatever it is. That, that building and creating is, is something I love doing. And this is, this is it. Brian, I believe that the very, the, the number one thing you can give to your children or the number one thing you can give to your team or your coworkers is letting them see you work on personal development and becoming better and making that, that investment in yourself. Uh, you talk about, or in your book, a little bit about grandma, right? In the early mm -hmm. days. And when you moved back to Vancouver and, and growing mm -hmm. up and working, you know, when you're young for a while in the, in the store, uh, would she go down as, as sort of, you know, the most impactful mentor in your life or is there somebody else that, uh, that stands out for you? Yeah. Well, I, I dedicated my book to my grandmother and grandfather because they lit the entrepreneurial spark in me. They ran a tiny little business in San Francisco, an army surplus store, but they gave me the gift of opening my eyes to opportunity. And when I think of my three young kids, all uh, school-aged kids, I've never once asked any of them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because I don't care. I just want them to be happy. Okay. And my job as a dad, or one of my jobs, is to highlight opportunities for them and just show them what all life has to offer. And they'll, like my grandma, you know, 
if they ask lots of questions and help focus you in different things, but not tell you what their agenda is, you'll find your path. Mm, yeah, excellent advice. So, Brian, what business leader, past or present, do you admire most? You know, I've been asked that a lot, and there isn't one. I admire things, different things, and different people. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I honestly couldn't pick one because I, I there's just so many. You know, so a, a fellow named Greg Brophy, who had started a company called Shreddit, yeah, probably gave me the one piece of advice that I've held on to forever. And that was, he said, never, ever, ever compromise on the quality of people that you bring into your organization. And so I've been really, really careful. And that resonates all the time. So uh, I've admired that that was a value of his and uh, has become now a value of mine. Yeah. And uh, maybe last question for you, Brian, as we wrap, and uh, I always like to try to be as as, uh, punctual as possible. Uh, One of our guests uh, a few weeks ago was uh, Lewis Howes. Uh, top 100 podcaster, 200 million uh, downloads. Uh, uh, just, just an exceptional um, uh, participant as as one of our guests. And one of the questions he always asks, or usually ends with, is, "What is greatness to you? And how do you define it? And how do you know when you've reached it?" Yeah, well, you know, to me, I think greatness is is you're happy. Greatness is you're living a great, happy life. And when people are happy. Hey, mom, when people are happy, they share their passion with others and happy people want to help others be happy. And so, you know, I feel like I'm living the greatest life ever and uh, I wish nothing but that for everyone else. Absolutely incredible. Bri, I know uh, one of the uh, one of the quotes in your book says true happiness is to enjoy the present without fear of the future. You, my friend, are a walking, talking example. It has been such a privilege to uh, look up to you and to watch you in in my own hometown. Uh, we are big fans. Uh, we are so grateful for your generosity with your uh, time, uh, Bri. It's absolutely amazing. Bri, maybe just uh, just quickly uh, give us your 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 social media handles or uh, your email addresses if anyone wants to tag you or, or reach out to you and say thank you. Yeah, sure. Of course, it, it's basically there. You go at Brian Scudamore. So on any of the social media, I'm all over them: LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, reach out if I can help. And uh, it's certainly been amazing watching all the great comments come back. And uh, Dave's done an incredible do- job producing this. And Gary, you're a stellar interviewer. So I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Wow, absolutely. You know what? You make it so easy. And uh, for those of you guys uh, coming up in what's the date? There, the 18th. The Jeffrey Fox. Sorry, guys, I, uh, she'll get it up there. Upcoming, guys, in just a couple of weeks is Jeffrey Fox, uh, How to Become a Rainmaker and many other incredible uh, books. Uh, Jeffrey's going to share, uh, you know, a lot of the insights that he's uh, developed and uh, and learned over the years. I can't wait. Uh, lastly, to all of you, to all of our friends, to all of our listeners tuning in, uh, to the DLC group of companies, to our franchise owners, our agents, our lending partners. Uh, I know there's so many of you on this call. As always, guys, I want to thank you sincerely for your belief in us. Uh, we we have so much fun doing, uh, doing this, and we have uh, a lot more ahead of us. So uh, thank you for uh, being supportive. Thank you, Bri, for being my guest, and uh, thank you for my team for always making us look good. Have a great day, guys. Thank you. Thank you.